Welcome to Semester 3, Episode 6 of our Just Admit It podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex higher ed landscape. I'm Nellie, an MBA and graduate admissions counselor at Ivy Wise and a former associate director of admissions at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. And joining me today is my friend Divinity, who got her MBA from Wharton and is the founder of MBA Mama. In this episode, we're going to discuss what all the different MBA application deadlines entail and share advice for those who want to pursue an MBA. Thank you so much for joining us today, Divinity. I'm so glad you were able to, uh, yeah, just join on the call today and talk about your journey to the MBA. Yes, thank you so much, Nelly, for having me. Let's dive in. Perfect. So just a little bit more background information about you. You launched a fashion company in Los Angeles at age 19, a youth development nonprofit in Uganda after graduating from the University of Southern California in 2008. You have a consult you also had a consulting firm with clients in Africa and the US. And most recently, MBA Ma- relaunched MBAMama.com, the world's largest professional network dedicated exclusively to MBA moms. So I just kind of want to kick us off in here. So, you know, after graduating from USC in 2008, can you walk us through, you know, wh- how, what was your path to, to business school? How, what, what made you consider getting an MBA, uh, you know, post your, your undergraduate studies at USC? Yes, that's a great question. And actually, if you had told me in 2008 that I'd be getting an MBA, I would have laughed in your face. (laughs) Uh, I remember the, we called them the Marshall kids at USC, the Marshall School of Business. You know, we were in Southern California in undergrad. People were on skateboards and board shorts. And then you'd have the Marshall kids in suits and ties in 90 degree weather walking to class. And we were like, these are the most uncool kids on campus, right? <laughs> so nobody, like, I, I did not think the business school was in my future. Um Because I had like a very stereotypical view of what a business school student looked like based on my experience at USC. Um, But I graduated in 2008 from undergrad, and that was the height of the financial crisis. Uh, I don't know if people remember what the job market was like at that time, but it was not pretty. Um, And so I had just studied abroad in Kenya and Tanzania the fall of my senior year, And so coming back to campus uh, for my final semester, looking at the world around me as Wall Street was, you know, going to hell, there were no good job prospects, I decided that I was going to go back to East Africa where I had just studied um, and I was going to work with a nonprofit and do work focused on youth development, which was something I was very passionate about. Um, And so I ended up in Uganda, not Kenya, where I had studied, because a friend of a friend had a friend who ran an organization there. And what was cool about them is that they were um, kind of focused on youth development, but through a lens of hip hop culture, which I thought was just really innovative and cool. Um, And so I ended up in Uganda a few months after graduation. I had $2,000 to my name. I went on a one-way ticket and um, 
I was there to work with people that I didn't really know other than, you know, communicating with them on Facebook um, and email. And within a couple months, I realized that actually this organization was not fully legit. (laughs) And so um, I decided to leave that organization and start my own nonprofit um, that was also focused on youth development, that also, you know, integrated hip hop culture. uh, But, you know, that was actually going to put in the work and not just kind of post photos as if they were doing the work. So that led me to launch Amagezi Gemani Youth Association. Amagezi Gemani means knowledge is power. And I ended up running that organization for four years, but ultimately it was not sustainable. Uh, It was not financially sustainable. I didn't have the network and the finance skills to really understand how to create revenue generating activities so that I was not 100% dependent on grants and donations, right? And that is so critical in the nonprofit business. Uh, You can't just rely on donations because donors can stop giving and, you know, individual giving is a toss up because people's financial situations ebb and flow and they're not always able to commit uh, to making those donations. And then your budget takes a huge hit. Mm -hmm. So I came back to the States um, after four years of running Agaya in Uganda. And um, I had a brief stint where I worked for the YMCA um, as a youth development director. Um, but then I, you know, decided that getting an MBA would give me the skills that I was missing um, to continue to do the type of work I wanted to do. And I knew that entrepreneurship was was in my future because I just I've always had the entrepreneurial bug Um, and it was actually a friend of mine her name is Gigi Garland who first told me about the NBA I remember I was running my consulting practice I had uh, came back to California my daughter was about two years old and it was it was probably around 2014 And I was figuring out what I wanted to do next because my consulting business was going fine, but it wasn't really thriving. I wasn't bringing in new clients and I wasn't really challenged. And Gigi said, well, have you thought about an MBA? And I was like, no, business school isn't for me. You know, it's not my style. All those stuffy kind of suited up people. Um, I don't think I'll fit in in business school. And she really challenged me to, to think about how I could bring something different to the classroom and how my story would be unique and how I could stand out from the pack. Um, and she said there there was a lot of scholarship money out there for people like me who had a different story um, and who could really diversify an MBA class, not just because I'm a Black woman, you know, not just because I was a mom, but because my career path had been so unique after undergrad. And so I started doing the research and uh, decided to apply. And so I started my journey in 2014 and I ended up at Wharton fall 2015. Awesome. I mean, you just provided so much information here that I want to unpack a little bit. Um, Just uh, remind me, your undergrad degree at USC, what was that in? 
political science and African-American studies. Okay. So more of like the liberal arts humanities side. So, and then you, you mentioned, you know, in terms of being at your profit, not having the finance skills. Um, And so I'm so interested because that seems to be a deterrent for a lot of students, right? When they're, or potential applicants is that they don't have the finance skills um, and, or the quant skills. So I just, I want to, I want to circle back to that, but I just wanted to kind of put a pin on that as one of the interesting challenges. And, and the story you, you, you mentioned or your journey really is one, I think a lot of prospective applicants face that it's not always straightforward, right? That the M- even when you're an undergrad, the MBA might not be something that you're thinking about, but to to have it on your radar in the future, right? From Or to hear about it from other people that have gone through it is, you know, a, a typical way that people enter onto the MBA path. So yeah. um, <clears throat> going back, you mentioned, uh, you know, wanting to be challenged, uh, getting a different perspective, having and being, you know, kind of highlighting you the ne- unique aspects of you in the application process, which I, I really want to talk about. So you applied in 2014. And so I guess, can you walk me through when, when did when did Gigi mention that to you that you should that you should apply? Like when, when did that process start? Were you thinking about the MBA application like a year out, six months out? It was over a year. Okay. So something that's, I think, important for our viewers to know, right? That the MBA application process is, (laughs) can take some time, right? There's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. And so uh, from my perspective, I think the the longer lead way that you have to prepare your application materials, the the more successful you, you will be, you will be in the process. So in 2014, you're thinking about the application process. What's the first piece that you started to kind of work on and develop, do you think, from your perspective? Studying for the GMAT. Absolutely. That was my biggest challenge. I took the GMAT three times. It was it was hellish. I hate standardized tests. I've actually always done pretty well on standardized tests. You know, like when I took the ACT, like I got shot out of the park, I remember. But I never liked these tests, you know. Um, and so the GMAT was my biggest struggle. And I almost didn't apply because I felt my final score wouldn't be competitive enough. Yeah. So, right. So that goes to, so even though you, you, so you didn't have the finance skills, which I think a lot of our non-traditional applicants won't necessarily have that background. What is one, I think one of the tips that I give to prospective applicants of when they're thinking about MBAs and they don't have that finance skill is to potentially take a course, right? Prior to them applying, they could take a calc, they could take a stats course, they could take um, an accounting course. I think just getting that under your belt will help to demonstrate to the admissions committee that you're committed to applying uh, for an MBA, that you that you can be successful in their MBA curriculum, right, which is going to be rigorous and quant based. Um, and right, this is just another supplement that you can help to kind of solidify those quant and finance skills in addition to your GMAT. So yes. I'm curious. Oh, so Nelly, let, me, let me speak to that. So I did do that. Um, I took a calculus course as well as a statistics course at UCLA Extension. Um, And it was tough for me because I had avoided math classes like the plague in undergrad. And so I was working full time. Uh, The other thing that 
going on in my life at the time is that I was I was separating from my husband. Um, and so overnight I became a single mom. So not only am I running my consulting business, studying for the GMAT, taking care of my daughter now as a single mom, but also um, I'm going to a calculus class and a statistics class four nights a week. I think it was Mondays and Wednesdays for one of the classes and Tuesdays and Thursdays for the other. And I was just like, Lord, there better be some light at the end of this tunnel, baby, because (laughs) it was stressful, but I did it. I ended up getting great marks in both classes and I submitted those scores along with my undergraduate transcript when I applied uh, to Warden and some other schools. That's perfect. Yeah. So that's a a great tip for prospective MBA um, applicants. So also in terms of the GMAT, right, you were saying it was one of the hardest parts of the application for you. How and and that you started like six months to a year out to prepare for that GMAT. So what are some of the strategies that you used uh, to be successful on the GMAT? Well, I I got the books, of course, um, and I was doing, you know, practice tests every weekend. I also, I ended up connecting with a private tutor who I would have sessions with on Skype. And um, basically any, and I was only focused on the quant portion, like the, the um, verbal part. I have that in the bag. Like I was scoring off the charts on the verbal part. So all of my study and focus was on the quantitative section of the GMAT. So I would recommend that candidates make the investment, um, you know, set aside a a chunk of change. It is going to cost you a little bit, but it's well worth it in order to get a competitive score on the GMAT. Yeah, perfect. I think you touched upon, you know, some of the advice that we give candidates to <laughs> diversify how you're how you're preparing for the GMAT, right? So webinars, practice tests, organized study sessions, private tutors, um, you know, and, and setting aside the time to, to prepare uh, so that you can get that out of way. Right. And like you said, and to prepare for other pieces of the application, which brings us right now next to, I would say, what I would think is kind of the next biggest piece of the puzzle, right? Your essays for the application. Would you would you agree with that, Divinity? Yes. I'd also say that people should start thinking about letters of recommendation, even if they haven't made the ask yet, uh, because, you know, some recommenders need more lead time than others. Exactly. Why don't we start with that? So in terms of letters of recommendation, who did you who did you think you were going to tap uh, in terms of writing your letters, given that you were a, a founder of your own nonprofit? Right. That must have been a little bit challenging thinking about who who's going to be able to represent you and kind of speak to those personal qualities you want to highlight. Yes. So um, I struggled with this. Um, And I was actually a part of two MBA prep programs, uh, the Forte Foundation for Women, as well as Management Leadership for Tomorrow, which is focused on underrepresented um, minorities. Um, And so they had kind of a game plan for us um, that included like sample language for reaching out to recommenders and things like that, which was very helpful. Um, I ended up relying primarily on my clients 
um, of my consulting business. So, um, cause I didn't really have a supervisor. Right. Um, and so I got one of my clients, um, who I had worked with in Uganda. It was a law firm, um, in Uganda that I had helped launch their immigration unit. Um, he wrote a letter of recommendation for me. And then my biggest client in the States, which was also a boutique law firm. Um, and I had ran all their operations. And so he also uh, wrote a letter of recommendation for me and he he also is a JDMBA. So he was able to really speak to what I would bring to an MBA class, uh, which was awesome. Um, and then I had uh, the third recommendation I had was um, a partner, the leader of a partner organization that I had worked with when I was running my nonprofit in Uganda. So she was a peer, but she was the leader in the nonprofit space. Um, and she also was an international voice, right? She was a Ugandan woman who could speak to my cultural competence, um, as well as, you know, the way that I was able to navigate the business space in a culture and a country that was not home. So what I'm hearing, right, in terms of when people are thinking about letters of recommendation is to kind of think about the qualities that you want to highlight in your application to an admissions committee, right? So I heard you talk about cross-cultural communication, leadership, um, you know, reaching out to to letters of recommendation or letters of um, recommenders who have that uh, understanding of what an MBA program looks like or have previously completed it, right? So that they are able to, who kind of know the process, right? I think that definitely helps. Um, Who can speak to specific projects that you have worked closely with them on um, so that they can provide that personalized recommendation for you, right? And not really, not the generic... I've known this candidate for X years and he's great or she's great. Right. But that can really kind of dive into the weeds on a particular project and do a little bit of storytelling on your behalf. Um, And it sounds like you were, you were able to kind of figure that out in a, in a non-traditional path. Right. So the, of course, most uh, MBA applicants uh, applications are going to ask for your current supervisor. um, And you're going to need to, if you can't provide that, you'll need to explain why. But it sounds like that you were able to demonstrate why your clients um, or how your clients are able to speak on your behalf in a, in a positive way. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. So kind of transitioning from, you know, how the letters of recommend rec- letters of recommendation highlight your personal qualities. The essays are another way to, to, sh- to showcase that. Right. And for you, you really had a different and unique perspective. And so how did you. Yeah. How did you break down the the essays and kind of spend time? Right. A lot of the recommendation that we give to candidates is that the MBA process is super self-reflective, right? That you have to spend time kind of figuring out why do you want to go get an MBA? How is an MBA going to help you on your career path? You know, how is it going to help you to achieve your short term and long term goals? And essentially, why is X school going to be the best fit for you? So kind of thinking about that, how, why did you decide, right? You, you'd gotten the advice that to think about business school, but tell us a little bit about that self-reflection process for you. How, how did that, how did that play out? Yes. So I had a very methodical approach, which was partially guided by those pre-MBA prep programs that I was a part of, um, 
otherwise I would not have known how to how to approach this. So basically I had an Excel spreadsheet <laughs> that was a research workbook. Every school that I was applying to, I applied to six schools, uh, all had their own tab in this workbook. I had a matrix <laughs> where I ranked based on academic strength, academic fit, career placement strength, teaching method, reputation, geography, etc. Um, and so I was researching things like the titles of classes that I wanted to take at Wharton. I was researching professors who I wanted to study with. Um, I was researching student organizations that I wanted to be involved with. Um, and so I was able to speak very eloquently in my essays about, you know, I think the one of the questions for Warden back then was, you know, what are what will you bring to campus or something like that? I don't remember the exact question, but it was like, how will you contribute to the class if you're if you're selected? Um, and I was able to say things like, you know, I would like to join the Women in Business organization and bring um, the perspective of MBA moms into the organization and bring in senior women as speakers, you know, to the annual conference and things like that. Um, I also was looking at uh, leadership, entrepreneurship as well as um, like career placement because I knew I either wanted to start my own company or I wanted to transition into tech at a high growth tech startup. Um, and so those were kind of the three criteria that I filtered everything through. Um, and I had a inner circle of about five people who saw at least 20 versions of my essays. And so I recommend getting your, I call them my board of directors, get your board of directors um, who really know you who know the authentic you and who can keep you honest as you work on your essays. Uh, because sometimes we have a tendency, I think, I've seen this with other candidates for MBA, you try to write what you think the admissions committee wants to hear versus what's really true, right? And like, just be yourself, just be authentic. That is going to shine through in the application. And believe me, like these admissions people see thousands of apps. If you're just sounding like everybody else, like you're not going to stand out for the pack. You're just not. So better to just be yourself um, and take that time to self-reflect and have people in your inner circle who can keep you honest during the editing and revision process um, as you work towards getting your final essays done. And also for those people who may be concerned about the quant side um, or not having the finance skills, I highly recommend doing the optional essay. I did this. Um, it was very brief, but I basically said, look, you will see on my transcript that I don't have, you know, that these, this is a, a gap. This is a gap that I hope to fill at Wharton. As you can see, I've taken these additional supplemental classes. These are the things that I'm doing to address this gap um, 
already. And if I gain admission to Wharton, I can guarantee you that I will be able to hold my own. Um, and I look forward to you know, the opportunity to join. I think it might may have been two paragraphs. It was short and sweet, but um, I addressed the elephant in the room head on. Perfect. I mean, such great tips here. One, um, in terms of even as you reach research schools, you had been self-reflective about the skills that you were looking to develop and and kind of what you wanted in in your MBA uh, career, right? So that you were specifically looking for leadership skills. For you, it meant um, kind of given your background in entrepreneurship and nonprofit um, development. And, and having a social impact, right? So you were specifically looking for that in your curriculum. Um, and then being very, uh, you know, thoughtful in terms of looking at the career services um, statistics and their placements. Where are these graduates going? Do they, do they have an entrepreneurial community? Are they placing people in, um, you know, social impact ventures? Um, and, you know, I think, so for you, those were the skills that you were looking to develop, but I think every applicant is going to be a little bit different. And so, and each school is going to be different. And so trying to customize your search based on the skills that you want to develop so that you do find the right fit for you. Um, you mentioned also to be yourself. You took the words right out of my mouth and <laughs> in regards to applicants always write essays that they think we want to hear. But we, there's really, uh, we want to hear about the applicant, right? So being yourself, authentic, honesty is super important in the application process. And that last piece that you mentioned in terms of the optional essay, addressing any red flags or elephants in the room, things that um, that we that the admissions committee doesn't start to create their own narrative, right? So that you can just address it and move on and kind of get it out of the way. So all awesome tips. You mentioned too, I want to kind of circle back, you applied to six schools. <laughs> So, right, MBA um, application rounds generally are in three rounds. Round one, which is a little bit earlier this year. I think it was like in early to mid-September. Round two is generally in January. And then round three is going to be in in March. And so I'm curious as to what was your strategy in terms of applying to those six schools and the various rounds? And how did you how did you figure out what round was going to be the best for you? Um, Did you split them up? Did you all apply in, in all one round? Yeah. Kind of walk us through that that piece. Yes. So I wanted to apply in round one, but I was not GMAT ready. So. My strategy was I had all the, like, I had all the essays done. My letters of recommendation were ready. I was, um, I had completed the supplemental classes. Pretty much every part of my application was done. I was just trying to get, I wanted a GMAT score that was above 700. That was my target. I thought I could be very competitive uh, being above 700. My GMAT score, I'm like not ashamed of this. I shouted from the rooftops to give people hope. My GMAT score was a 640. That was my final. I uh, submitted second round to all of my schools. I only didn't get into one school. I applied to all top 10 schools and I got full-ride offers from three of the six. So don't be deterred, people. I know you want to get that 800 or the 780 or whatever. 
But the GMAT score is just a number. It does not define you. It does not. There's so many other parts of the application where you can shine. Believe me, because that was that was me. And I was hesitant to apply, even with the strength of my recommendations that I knew my essays were strong. I had, you know, a 3.9 undergraduate GPA. I had studied abroad. I had worked abroad. I had started businesses. I still thought that 640 would take me, you know, uh, but God is good. <laughs> God is good. And, you know, and I was successful. Um, and so I would have, my strategy was to around one if I could, um, but I needed to take the GMAT. And I think the final time I took the GMAT was around October 2014. And so I had just missed the round one deadlines. And so when I got my score back, I was like, okay, I'm ready. And so I submitted well ahead of this uh, second round deadline, but um, I was second round for every school. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, generally that's our advice. Round one is best suited for applicants who are well-prepared with their applications. They have a GMAT score and good grades, right? A GMAT score that they're happy with and, and good grades, solid work experience, have engaged their recommenders and are who are, who are coming from overrepresented industries, right? Consulting and finance. I think round two is better suited for applicants that can still make meaningful improvements to their overall profile. You need a little bit more time in, as in Divinity's case to try to raise your GMAT score get in that uh, additional test before the deadline, potentially conduct more school research or better prepare your application materials. So generally speaking, there's really no difference in terms of round one or round two. I think it's best suited for when you as the applicant are ready, right? Round three, on the other hand, is really the most competitive. So there's going to be a limited number of spots available given that, um, you know, applicants have taken up space from round one and round two. So round three is probably the most competitive round and and uh, would not encourage you to apply in round three unless you have really an extenuating circumstance. So um, but if you can get it in in round one, that's that's ideal. But there's no like, you know, in Divinity is a perfect example. There's no difference really in round two. You can still get strong quality applicants um, in round two. Um, perfect. So I think that's awesome. I'm curious. I'm just. I'm just I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I'm curious as to what your thoughts. So as given COVID um, and the challenges with uh, the GMAT this past year for international applicants and domestic applicants, um, you know, a lot of schools did decide to go test optional. I'm curious as if you would have maybe chose that path at the time to go to, to do GMAT optional and not submit your scores. Interesting. So I think one parallel here is uh, the year I was applying to business school was the year that HBS decided to do essay optional. I don't know if you remember that. Yes. Uh, I think it was, there was like this, what, what was the name? There, there was this HBS director who was like this famous lady. I don't know. She was like well-renowned in the business school community. And it was like her last year or something. And they said essay optional. And so I didn't submit the essay for HBS. I was like, okay, it's optional. So I didn't submit it. I think that was a mistake. <laughs> I think it was absolutely a mistake. Um, the GMAT is a little different than the essay. Uh, personally, 
I would say, you know, a big part of the MBA experience is the networking and the connection that you make between your professors and your peers and even like guest speakers and stuff like that. So the folks who are navigating this in COVID, my hats are off to them. Um, I I would not do the MBA if it was if it was like virtual in a COVID environment personally. Um, But to to answer the question directly, I would, this is a tough one. I think it depends. I, I, would say, I would say that I would still, I would still take it personally. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's really what we're trying to advise applicants on too, right? I think that each, you, you have to look at your own unique path, your own unique story. Um, uh, I think it, it is another data point for admissions officers to look at when they review your profile. Um, And so it can, I think it can just help strengthen if they have any question that you may not be, um, you know, able to handle the rigorous quantitative background. I think that that it, it, you know, it, it could, it could hurt you a little bit by not having the GMAT scores, even though they say they're test optional. So my advice is to really kind of think about, or if you really don't think that you're going to be a great test taker, um, you know, where are the other places that we can highlight that quant experiences? Is it through your professional experiences? Was there a project that you worked on that was super quant heavy? Um, You know, is that something that your letters of recommendation can highlight? Um, You know, taking that additional course that we talked about. So there are other ways if you decide to be test optional. Um, but from my perspective, I think it, it just helps to enhance whether you're a strong applicant or not. I think it just helps to enhance your overall profile. Um, perfect. So moving forward, I'm, I'm curious as to, to what your advice would be is to how candidates can put their their best foot forward in applications. Definitely the essays. I also uh, recommend. And if you're able to visit the campus, do that and be able to speak to that. If you're able to meet admissions officers in advance so that, you know, the application isn't the first time they're hearing or seeing your name, mm-hmm. uh, that's highly recommended. If you can, if you have any alumni from that school or current students in your network or even one or two degrees separated, from your network, try to do a brief informational interview. Most MBAs love talking about their MBA experience. Uh, We tend to be like type A personalities. So (laughs) uh, we're, we're always down to like talk about the, you know, how the degree helped us and uh, and pay it forward. Um, And then lastly, I would say Really think about where you want to be in the first five years after you graduate. Um, And don't just apply to a school because of its ranking or whatnot. You know, of course that matters. It's important. But where are graduates from that school, where are they getting placed? What what industries are they working in? What is their earning potential? Um, you know, look at things like that as you make your school selection choices um, and be, be as strategic as possible um, so that, you know, it's not just about the two years of the MBA, it's about 
you're doing this to reach a, a career goal or to pivot in your career or to boost your earning potential, whatever, whatever your desired results are, you want to keep that in mind um, as you're selecting uh, your school choices. That is such, again, key pieces of advice here that I think are downplayed, but, um, you know, making those connections with admissions committee members, meeting them on the road, maybe it's virtual now, you know, whatever, whatever way that you need to connect with them, I think it only helps to put a face to your, you know, a name to their, to your application and a face to your application. Um, you know, you, you kind of come to life and a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of downplay that aspect, I think, too, as a part of the application process. The other piece you mentioned, networking, so huge, right? Not only in terms of the pre-application process, but will continue to be play a part in your MBA career, both at, during school, um, you know, networking with other peers, making, uh, joining clubs, developing those relationships. And then, you know, that your MBA cohort is essentially the, the core of your network moving forward. Um, and that school's network moving forward, being able to utilize that network and for potential, you know, job opportunities, either right after school or five or 10 years down the road, which um, I'm sure you have lots of stories that you could share with us. Uh, but I think that it is, you know, those aspects of the application are, are just as important um, when, you know, completing the process. So, yeah, perfect. Um, anything else, any other last uh, tips or tricks that you wanted to, to share with us? Yeah, the last thing I'd say is, um, you know, follow the accounts of the schools that you're interested in on social media. What are they, you know, what are they featuring on their Instagram? Um, are they having a webinar? Are they featuring certain alumni? Um, you know, follow their Twitter account. You know, you can find out about cool new initiatives or buildings that they're breaking ground on, you know, things that might not make it to website uh, will be featured on social media. And so it can just give you additional talking points um, to mention. It can be half a line, you know, in an essay to really show that you're, you're clued in to what's going on on that campus. Like at Wharton, they just um, unveiled this whole new uh, building for, entre- for student entrepreneurs. I can't, I wish they had that when I was a student, you know, um, I can't wait to go back as an alum and, and check it out. Um, uh, Dean Erica just celebrated her one year anniversary at Wharton. You know, that was on, on Instagram. I don't think, you know, it's just a little caveat, right? That things like that can really show the admissions committee that, wow, they really want to go here. They they know what's going on, (laughs) you know, at our institution. And, and it just helps to set you apart even further. I agree. Actually, one of the tips that I give to um, yeah, social media, but also a hidden gem is the school's newspaper. Um, and you can sign up whether you don't have to be a current student to get the school newspaper and you can have those daily electronic, um, you know, copies sent to your mailbox and just keep a pulse on each of the schools of what's what's happening, what what's going on on campus, what are students unhappy about, what what are they happy about? Because um, I, I think that can also help inform your decision of if that school is going to be a good fit for you or not. Um 
So I, I love that piece of advice. Um, I think we are, we're close on time here. So I just wanted to thank you so much again for joining us. You've given us such incredible little tidbits of knowledge and, um, you know, strategic pieces of advice to be successful in the application process. Um, and so I just wanted to, again, thank you and thank all of our listeners for tuning in to Just Admit It. Catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our Ivy Wise knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive college admissions process. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for more college prep resources. And stay tuned for our next episode in which we will share advice on how medical school applicants can prepare for their interviews. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.